Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, it's Jackie from Page 7. I'm here to let y'all know that you can listen to Page 7 for free on Spotify. You can download all the episodes with a free account and guess what? All last podcast network episodes are already over there. Swan so mosey on your butt, stand to the Spotify app and listen to Page 7 for free on Spotify to get new episodes as soon as they come out. Because I want to get them hot out of the oven so I can burn my The Prince of Puke, the King of Schlock, Sultan of Sleaze, the Baron of Bad Taste, the Pope of Trash. We're talking about Holden like that. (laughs) (laughs) No, today my character from (laughs) Roundtable. We are talking about the one, the only John Waters, and we are talking about the beginning of John Waters' uh, prolific, prolific works of art. <laughs> it was difficult for me to say it. Hey guys, I'm Jackie. We're talking about John Waters today. I'm Holden, and I just want to give a warning out there. If the John Waters you know is essentially like hairspray and on, this is part one of John Waters. There are um, a very obscene subject matter we're going to be talking about. If that sort of stuff upsets you, things like rape, pedophilia, shit eating, we're going to get into it because that is the John Waters of the first half of his career. And um, in a sense, I love it. And and uh, in another sense, I know that there's no way this shit could happen in, to- uh, in today's age and, and how not. inappropriate it is and uh natalie i'm natalie and if you are offended by musicals then this is the episode for you you don't uh, want to listen yeah. to the second one if you like if you like fecal things man no is, judgment the thing is though so i mean of course we got to talk we got to do our gush part of john waters sure uh, i uh i've seen or i have thought i have seen or i have seen parts of all of these movies before but the thing is that these are the kind of movies the beginning we're, we're talking about up through the trilogy of trash the thing is these are the kind of movies that I would watch when I was blackout drunk at a friend's house when I was on whatever I would decide to be on for that night and you put that on and you hit like you just like zone in and out of different scenes of it right. just being like what the fuck is happening I think that's what they intended really that's exactly yes. what they were I think that's the exact way that he wanted people to be watching these movies as well as and over the past two days I have watched all, almost all of the movies that we are talking about today <laughs> and I I have been oh, having no. weird <laughs> dreams because when you oh, I bet. when you watch them all the way through you you also realize no it is just as it doesn't make any sense that's right. a lot of, it's a lot it's somebody who loves John Waters that is a lot a lot, a lot at, at one night yeah there's a lot 
I um I will say uh, what I I watched Female Trouble last night, and by the end of it, I literally was thinking. Uh, yeah, I think it, like like if Divine just walks in with a gun and shoots me, like that's just my reality now. Like she's that's just what happens now because I'm in living in a John Waters world at this point. Yeah, and I'll probably thank her for it. You know, it's 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 it transports you into a different place. Also, though, like it is it is trashy on purpose. And one of the things that maybe wasn't specifically on purpose back in the day, but makes it even more trashier. I feel like now the sound is fucking horrible. Because they didn't have a lot to work with. They were very self-funded, very low budgets. Although I will say, and we'll talk about this later on, now that the Criterion Collection is re-putting out a lot of these uh-huh. movies, even John Waters on himself Criterion? has said, Criterion <laughs> Collection has been yes, putting yeah. out a bunch of them, and even John Waters has said, you know, I didn't realize all of the things that had been picked up on all of the mics and everything that had been included ah. in this. You see background things that he didn't even realize were there. And he's like, That's wow, funny. we... um." We probably should have paid a little bit more attention to what we were doing because it's so crisp. But it adds to it. And and, and what I was going to say is the sound is so shitty. And then everyone's just screaming at each screaming. other at the top of their lungs for an hour and 40 minutes in, in when it comes to female trouble. And that just bad sound with just constant yelling just puts you in a mental space that is like, is the, am I being tortured right now? Do I love this? Is this? I finally understand what people used to say about early roundtable days because it. <laughs> uh, we watched Desperate Living. Jeff and I watched it the second we got off of like traveling for two days. And so you're already kind of half tripping. Anyway. I was kind of half tripping and it was, I paused it about 25 minutes in and I was like, have they been screaming? They are just <laughs> screaming, right? Every <laughs> single character is screaming. Non-stop screaming. It's right. a, it's just a it's a an assault on your all of your senses. And I, <laughs> I I remember the first time I ever saw any John Waters. I was in about fourth or fifth grade. I was at my friend's house, and their mother was watched. The crybaby was just in the middle. It was mm-hmm. in the 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 section where the little kids are. Um, they're like being for they're put for sale at the orphanage. They're behind the glass. <laughs> oh yeah. And I just remember looking at watching this movie, kind of out of the corner of my eye and just was going like something's wrong with this mm-hmm. <laughs> there's something just there's something off about it but I bet you never I, forgot it though but now Crybaby is I realize at this point that is one of his softest movies yes. Yes. and I love Crybaby it's one of my favorite yeah. movies and and uh, sidebar one of the only times that Johnny Depp has ever m- made my loins Fire right. He's oh, like this yeah. bad boy coming right off of 21 Jump Street. I'm actually, I'm really excited. I've already been doing research for episode two, and there's like a really good interview between John Waters and Johnny Depp. Like he's fresh off of 21 Jump Street. It is so fascinating. And I have not seen Crybaby, and I'm. It's a good thing we're talking about it next week because, or in next the next episode because uh, uh, I have time to watch all of that stuff. And what's funny too, Natalie, bringing up his later films, I did want to say that back in the day when I was in Murder Fist and Roundtable and everything, and young in New York in my 20s all I wanted was the early stuff I didn't care at all about hairspray or well, because yeah. we stuff. made a lot of this kind of, like you guys in yeah. the same right, sense yeah. our comedy was a John Waters Definitely. spinoff and I didn't realize it until now it yeah. was so resonant oh last night I found myself laughing at incredibly inappropriate stuff <laughs> uh, like that I would never that I was glad I was alone I was glad Lexi wasn't even there because I was like just cackling at just the most inappropriate and that's the point right that's the point it's funny it's all supposed to be comedy yeah we 
all have a seed of darkness within us, and we'll talk about his delineation between bad, bad trash and good, bad trash. And I think the little-known secret about John Waters, especially his earlier films, he is legitimately fucking a funny writer. And oh, yeah. this all has a sheen of disgustingness, everyone screaming at each other, everything, you know, and, and we haven't even mentioned the word divine yet, which I am just fa- fell in love with her over this mm-hmm. past week. I, I just, she is just absolutely incredible. Uh, but, but yeah, and now doing the research now that I'm older I'm super excited for the second part of this uh, episode because I get to go watch I, I'm actually way more interested in seeing Hairspray and Crybaby and all those movies again it is interesting uh, that yeah. you said now that we're older I think that watching all of these now looking back at a time when we were also considered I mean we still are fucking weirdos and we oh we always wanted <laughs> to try to find i know it's crazy tried to find our own niche in this world and now looking at it from an older perspective as like man i identify completely with what john waters was doing in this uh-huh. and now that he is also when you read because he does tours he does one man shows he does a lot of radio interviews the way john waters talks about his early work and is I feel the same way that we talk about Murder Fist of just yeah. like man, really couldn't let that stuff fly now. But I stand by what we did. Oh, I stand sure. by you how many people to. would walk out. I stand by how many yes. people would say that they would get nauseous by what we did, <laughs> because at the time we thought that they, I mean it was underground comedy. It is. Yeah. It is sort of what comedy and art uh, they they revolve around sort of pushing boundaries and testing boundaries and and. Um, Sometimes upsetting people because then you find out what we're, if you're playing it safe all the time, you're never going to make anything good. Also, you know, I think the big secret with John Waters, if you've only seen his earlier stuff, especially is that he's got an incredible taste in film. He's got an incredible knowledge of both both high and lowbrow film. You've got all these little nods. You've got Divine reading these really highbrow uh, French cinema magazines in these in these scenes where she's just screaming about you know uh, uh, where she's just and then she just breaks a chair over her daughter. Like it's just it's so <laughs> oh funny. yeah the child abuse is real in a lot of these things. Oh and yeah, especially in watching it and reading now through the fact that it is it was so shocking to me to learn that John Waters had a fairly normal American upbringing. I was so blown away. I was like, oh, he must have gone through some ridiculous bullshit to have created this kind of work. And now he realizing it's like, no, no, no. He just made exactly what he always wanted to see on the screen. When he spent all that time, he he loved B-movies. He loved going out of his way to like use binoculars and watch movies he wasn't supposed to be watching yes. on drive-in theater screens and things like that because he wasn't allowed to see it and it wasn't in his world. So he went out of his way to not only find everything like that he could, but also to make everything like that he could. Yeah, yeah. And, and also same with Divine. Um, they grew uh-huh. up in similar households and they were both like upper middle class kids, but they were fucking weirdos. They, you could not not be a weirdo if you were that level of a weirdo and they just were and they didn't know how to function in that society. And uh, they, there was a lot of uh, good kind of background with that if you watch the documentary I Am Divine, mm. uh, which obviously is about divine over John Waters, but they they grew up at, uh, in the same time and they grew up well, together. They worked together yeah. for on so many different projects. So that... you kind of get like a little bit of a uh, an idea of their childhood. And also, I just wanted to throw out there, we were kind of talking about the pronouns that uh, of Divine um, back then. I don't think it, it was a little more nebulous. I don't it was think just they, he, but well, he he is a he. 
generally um, as the consensus and Divine is a character that he yes. plays. So, but we, if we screw it up, uh, we apologize. It but he happen. is a man and he identified as a man, but he played Divine. In yeah. every piece of research I read, it said he, 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 and maybe yes. that's just data. I'm pretty sure. No, that's he because... openly has said that he identified as a man. He yeah, was and a he man. played. He was playing a role. He yeah. was yeah. doing this thing, and so spectacularly. So I should also mention now that we're getting into a little bit of the early childhood of John Waters. There's also the element of being born uh, or raised rather Roman Catholic. And uh, that is a big part. And he always even said it was actually important for him to grow up normal and with all these rules because that's how he learned what rules to break. And it was, it was, you know, having that knowledge. And again, I think that you find a complete parallel to the idea that he was also really into like very um, film buffy cinema. You know, because again, he's watching this incredible stuff and then he knows how to make trash out of it you know especially he grew up in lutherville which is like 20 minutes outside of baltimore proper so he's in the suburbs he's Mm -hmm. in the suburbs growing up roman catholic also apparently his mom was obsessed with queen elizabeth and that they also that people in the neighborhood referred to as the queen of lutherville and that's how he learned of what good taste was and the difference uh, of, like you said, of what rules to break. And that is something that he has said in many interviews. And I love that idea that he was given the the proper foundation to know how to break it all down with a sledgehammer. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said he was always essentially odd. He said about his early childhood, my mother told me the story that in kindergarten, I would come home and tell her about this weird kid in my class who drew only with black crayons and didn't speak to other kids. I talked about it so much that my mother brought it up with the teacher who said, what? That's your son. I was really creating a character for myself, and I always had a secret world. There's this uh, other story that he so said, good. and I love this because there's a scene, I believe it was in Female Trouble, honestly, in my brain, and they I apologize, they all kind of run together. Sure. I think it was yes. in Female Trouble where uh, the little girl, quote unquote, was pretending to be in a car accident. She kept yes. squirting ketchup all over the kind of pillow corpse next I had the exact quote because I wrote it down and made me laugh so but hard. I was obsessed by car accidents. This is what this was. How many times have I told you to play car accident outside? So <laughs> apparently this is based on John Waters' real life. That's he hilarious. says, I was obsessed by car accidents and I quote, played car accidents. My mother would take me to junkyards and walk around with me and I'd be like, there's been a terrible one over here. Look at this. And I think now, what did the junkyard or junk man think? What is this little ghoul? I don't know what my mother thought. This wasn't in the Dr. Spock book of what do you do if your kid is obsessed by car accidents. You, that, see, this is all just natural weirdoness. He's just yes. a weirdo. And it made me think, it. honestly, of when Holden always would tell the story about yes. when you would dress up like a vampire and run out, <laughs> jump out from behind parked cars to scare people. It was actually, I would hide in the bushes in front I'm of my sorry. house. I would hide in the bushes in front of my house, dressed like a vampire. And when cars would pass, I would run out and try to like get as close to them as possible before they drove past the house. Unfortunately, <laughs> they were driving to what was a, a cul-de-sac, was literally just to the left of my house. So this just the same people over and over again. And I would see, and I was because I was trying to see their reactions. And my dad actually had to sit me down, and 
he was like, what you're doing is weird. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he had to like explain <laughs> the concept of weirdness to me. That, that in itself is going to make you weirder. Yes. If, if your father sits you down and says you're weird and then explains to you how you're different than other people. I feel yes. like that, that is my favorite part about John Waters' entire life is the fact that his parents, they are the real MVPs of the situation. Because I will say, as someone that also had two parents that did the same kind of thing, where they never understood us. They didn't know mm-hmm. why we did what we did, mm-hmm. but you know what? They loved us and they supported us. My mom still has no idea what kind of comedy we used to make. She's <laughs> never listened to an episode she of any shouldn't. show I've ever done because she shouldn't. And no. it's the same way with John Waters, where it's like he just kind of wanted to keep his parents separate from all of it, but at the same time, oh, almost all of his it. they hated it. <laughs> but they were the ones that would finance all of the early movies and give him, but they would give him like two hundred bucks. And then, like, all right, go make a movie, and he would. If you really think about that time, how truly bizarre he was. Yes. It is really something that they would in any way support A queer kid in 1960s suburb outside of Baltimore? I mean, God bless them, because... I think a lot of parents would have sent him away to a camp or something. something. Right, yeah. right. It's amazing. So I they think they so are supportive. the real MVPs, and I want to say that, that that is awesome that even back then, and that is something that continues hopefully to happen to this day, of just like, you got to accept how fucking weird your kids are. <laughs> as long as they're not like killing little animals or something. Nah. Just, just let them be weird. John Waters was, as a child, inspired to get into puppetry by a film called Lily about a naive French girl who gets to work at a carnival in a puppetry act, interacting with the puppets as she thinks they are real. And she uh, he would perform violent adaptations of the already violent puppet show Punch and Judy at children's birthday parties. Essentially, Punch and Judy were two puppets performed by one puppeteer. It originated in 16th century Italian Commedia dell'arte and, it gen- and, and generally went as such. Punch's wife, Judy, asked him to look after their baby he fails at that uh he and then right the baby like dies yeah, or gets, yeah and then, then then she beats him yeah then she beats him with a club punch and judy in itself is such a bizarre concept and i assume there's been like hundreds of theater majors who've done like a thesis on that oh, but it, right. the whole thing is so weird it's just like this this thing that lasted throughout the generations of this like domestic abuse situation yes. that they were like fun fun for little kids to watch and i think you could easily take out the words punch and judy and describe this as a john waters movie and people are like yeah and then the cop comes over and he gets beat sure. up too yeah. and then the, the next person comes over and they get beat up too. you know what i mean it's and just then the, like the lobster puppet comes over and rapes the mom yes you know? and then it's some rape in there what i love too is that he apparently at the same time John Waters staged a puppet show based on William Castle's 1959 horror film, The Tingler. He was obsessed with The Tingler. Yes. But what I think is very cute is that he, inc- he included his siblings in this, and he had his brother and his friend crawl underneath the seats to grab the legs of audience members, imitating the director's gimmicky screenings mm-hmm. of, I guess it was more interactive. And that's William Castle that also did like House on Haunted Hill, which I now I want to see The Tingler, because I've read yeah. now a couple things of John Waters just talking about how much the tingler influenced him and uh, yes. i guess that they would have it's similar like a rocky horror-esque yeah, type it, thing of watching the Tingler. it was in the era it was something that um became sort of a uh a go-to for a lot of horror directors where to get people into seats they mm-hmm. they would sort of do these like 4d like these rudimentary 4d situations there's a really great uh documentary called american grindhouse if you're interested in those oh, kind hell, of yeah. Ooh, hell yeah it, it really breaks down that whole era and it's fucking 
awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So I did all my William Castle stuff is again next episode because of the film Polyester, right? Which has with the Odorama, Smellorama. Oh yes, where you have scratch and sniff cards that come with the movie. And with by the way, the you Criterion can get the- Collection yes. movie. By I the way, it. yes. They come it. with the the like fancy Blu-ray now. Even I kind of want to get it so I can play along. Uh, but he did a ton of fun stuff. That's like on other. Well, one example is just a skeleton with like lit up red eyes would fly over the <laughs> uh, audience during House on Haunted Hill at the very end and that's stuff awesome. like that. So yeah, and, and like oh my god, there's this one great Waters quote is you could just tell how excited he was about like how he went nuts on this one movie and just like if you uh, they would pause the movie like halfway through and if you were too afraid you could like walk down this like yellow ca- carpet up to this special booth and get a card that says I'm a bonafide coward to leave the movie theater. <laughs> you had to like announce to everybody that you were a coward. Uh, he was also, he also loved, I think Wizard of Oz, I totally get it because it's it's this really like lovely uh, nostalgia childhood thing but also has all these dark underpinnings he said I was always drawn to forbidden subject matter in the very very beginning the Wizard of Oz opened me up because it was one of the first movies I ever saw I'd opened me up to villainy to screenwriting to costumes and great dialogue I think the witch was great great has great great dialogue and he, I love that he was later deemed the Wizard of Odd uh, yes, such a great and send up. he also said the only time in my life I was ever in drag was as the Wicked Witch of the West. It was at it was to a children's birthday party, which I'm sure raised a few parents' eyebrows. <laughs> I was maybe ten years old. Is that really drag? I guess it is. But I didn't do it to be a woman. I did it to have green skin, which, as you can see, is coming true at my age. (laughs) Also, at the same time, too, which I love, is that he was apparently obsessed with Captain Hook. And not to, but specifically Cyril Richards' version of Captain Hook, which I, when I read this, I had to say it because it was in uh, Mary Martin's version of Peter Pan, which I loved as a kid. But what I love is that he said, if Margaret Hamilton was my show, his quote mother in my 10 year old mind then Cyril Richard was definitely my father all I knew then was that I was a budding clothes horse and here was a character who knew how to dress a real (laughs) fashion plate I didn't yet understand the word fop but I sure (laughs) wanted to be one even if I had to cut off one of my own hands to look that dashing Uh, (laughs) um, also I right around this time period I gotta interject with uh, he had a ghost story, and ah yes, please. He had uh, spoken about it on Celebrity Ghost Stories, which <laughs> is one of my favorite shows. And I feel like we should only do pop histories on people who've been on Celebrity Ghost Stories. <laughs> well, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but so he he experienced this ghost phenomena during a Boy Scout trip out into the forest, and so there was a lot of. Uh, psychological things going on for him at that point because he was a young boy going out to the woods with a little bit older boy so you know he he wasn't having like sexual awakenings but he may have been he, he was excited to do it yeah um and so he was out there in the middle of the night with all these campers and uh he said when he kind of walked away from the rest of the crowd there was like a light that came up and shone down from the the top of the force and kind of floated down towards his face and then he said it was a face of an older man and it had an odor oddly an odor of powdered sugar 
it looked at me <laughs> and I saw an older man's face and it was familiar. It wasn't hostile and it looked at me kind of understanding, Ooh. but I should have been screaming. I don't know why I wasn't completely freaked out by it. I was raised a Catholic, so this was this a guardian angel? I believe in the basic goodness of people, but maybe there are mean spirits, which some of those counselors were, and they don't get to have a guardian angel. Hell yeah. <laughs> Weirdly, it brought me a calmness. And then is when I saw Robin, the counselor. He walked up next to me, and I saw the look of terror on his face. Suddenly, the teeth popped out. One by one, not all of them, but bang, 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 like that, referencing the ghost face that he saw. Yeah. (laughs) And Robin was freaked, and he felt terror. I didn't feel terror, and I kind of knew that I would never be frightened again of anything. But when I looked in Robin's face... I knew that he would never not be afraid. Yeah, I love him. I love watching him talk. He's so yeah. I just, I'm just... sucked into him, and it's just such a John Waters ghost experience. Yes. That it was just the floating disembodied head of an old man whose teeth popped out that smelled like powdered sugar. Yeah, and then and then he real that this was his guardian angel, I guess, to let him know that he's never going to be afraid of anything again, and it also. <laughs> destroyed the counselor's life in the same moment. <laughs> so it really, it worked out for him. And, Fuck yeah. Uh, yeah. He was also, this is another John Waters fact that does not surprise me at all in the least. He was obsessed with Little Richard uh, at the in his early years and shoplifted a copy of the song Lucille at 11 years old. He said, I've, I've wished I could somehow climb into Little Richard's body, hook up his heart and vocal cords to my own, and switch identities. And, uh, of course, he also has that, uh, yeah, he's got, kept that pencil lip stash that Little Richard had as well that he drew with uh, eyeliner. I never realized that was because of Little Richard, but that is his, that's Little Richard's mustache. Yeah, right. and he said, not many white men I knew had that look, so I grew it in honor of Little Richard. Aww. And he said, I just thought he was so alarming. He scared my parents, <laughs> which is why he, why. and it's sad, uh, though. Did you read the interview later on that he no. finally got an interview with John Waters, like John Waters finally got an interview with Little oh, Richard. Oh, and it went very badly, line, yeah. And it went very poorly. He had little Richard like gone against saying that like being openly gay and he had like stayed like got even more religious than he used to be and, and it was kind of a it seemed a bit of a disaster and that's just putting it you never want to meet your heroes. Yeah. yeah, you never want to meet your heroes. This is all the, also all around the time that you mentioned earlier where he was going to drive in uh, uh, theaters and watching these trashy films with binoculars. Uh, and he also greatly, I think this definitely feeds into Crybaby and a lot of his work. He super admired a dude who lived across the street that owned a sick hot rod He was, and f- was fascinated with, quote, drapes or greasers, the leather jacket wearing working class muscle car kids of the 50s and 60s. Uh, he ends up graduating from Boys Latin School in Maryland. I feel like we haven't mentioned the, this more strongly, uh, just how important Baltimore is, the city of Baltimore is, to all of John Waters' work. He's filmed so much of his stuff there. He this it is inherent the, the culture of the city is inherent for him, especially uh, the counterculture that arose around his teens. His grandmother mm-hmm. gave him an eight millimeter camera and started shooting silent films with all these counterculture buddies in and around Baltimore. They would secretly screen them in a Baltimore church, which started drawing a counterculture audience through word of mouth. Which I think this is also the beginning of he would do this with a lot of the premieres, except for one which I believe was Desperate Living that he premiered inside of a prison. But the, the a lot of times he would show his movies in churches at night because I think that since he was a good, quote, good Catholic and the churches, he would go in and kind of plead his case, 
they wouldn't stop him because they weren't. No one was there watching the movies. Right. <laughs> so a lot of the movies that no way would ever been able to been played at any right. kind of movie theater, he would show at churches. I think they would have just peeked in once or twice just to check on what was going you on in there. Think. <laughs> uh, he ends up. This actually surprised me a little bit. He in, he attended NYU, but only for a short time because, unsurprisingly, he and his buddies were caught smoking weed on the grounds of the school. So he returned to Baltimore. Was his he first- expelled? Yes, uh, I think they dry. Yeah, they he was him expelled, out. and also at the same time, he said, "I lived by stealing textbooks and selling them back to bookstores." When I got kicked <laughs> out, I went home. NYU recommended extensive psychiatric treatment. <laughs> <That's> so, <laughs> if they did that nowadays, it'd be like four students at NYU. Oh yeah, and NYU hadn't even seen his uh, first proper short film that he made after that, "Hag in a Black Leather Jacket," which would have <laughs> more, more than alarmed them. Uh, it was screened only once in a coffee shop, but later got a proper exhibition as part of a traveling photography show. Uh, uh, the plot, according to Wikipedia, I-, I loved, by the way, just verbatim copy and pasting plots from IMDb or Wikipedia because they're just <laughs> so funny sounding in a like clinical website yeah. pl- plot breakdown. Uh, okay. A black man and a white girl named Mona Montgomery are wa- uh, wed on a rooftop. He courts her by carrying her around in a trash can and chooses a Ku Klux Klansman to perform the wedding. The wedding guests are played by people dressed in early pop-influenced costumes such as American flags and tinfoil. Mary Vivian Pierce does a dance known as the Bodie Green. That is the synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> and I love this is around the same time that he was talking about his early, early movies. And he said, my early films look terrible. I didn't know what I was doing. I learned when I was doing it. I never went to film school. I didn't learn from porn or anything. I just learned how to turn on the camera. That was hard enough. <laughs> but if you like those early films, you said they were primitive. If you hated them, you said they were amateurish. It's the same word. They didn't even have uh, vocals. There was It was just music over these. Like You didn't even have proper sound. Uh, during this stuff. I also just love, and I want to note, this is one of the of many examples of these films later being showed in art exhibitions and being treated in this more... High, high art. Yeah, and I love that. that. That's one of my favorite things is just this juxtaposition of this trash stuff that also is just elevated through through hard work and genius. And, and, and he's uh, said in so many words and so many different times that when people pull it apart as it is, like these early stuff, it's like, this is high art. He laughs yeah. because he's like, I wasn't trying to say anything. Yeah, with trying these. to like break down the symbolism of and everything. What it all and he's means, like, bitch. I don't know. We were just like, <laughs> they were just having fun. <laughs> yeah. It really was just them having fun. Definitely, Roman candles feels like that. A hodgepodge of scenes, including a priest drinking beer, a woman being attacked with an electric fan, and a drag queen riding a motorcycle. It was only shown a few times. Was never commercially released, and the soundtrack was played on a tape recorder in the room and featured radio advertisements, rock songs, and this is my favorite press conferences with Lee Harvey Oswald's mother was part of the soundtrack. <laughs> this is also the first film to star his childhood friend, Harris Glenn Milstead, and also his muse, and also known as divine let's get into it god i love this person so i much. mean divine is made best. divine lived six houses away from waters growing up so they didn't really know each other a whole heck of a lot but he did definitely see him all the time around the school seems even more of a conservative upbringing uh upper middle class baptists 
very socially conservative, his parents. And, uh, and this is, uh, he was born in 1945, growing up in Baltimore. Divine referred to himself as, quote, your American spoiled brat who was given most anything he wanted, including food, which led to being overweight. And I think uh, adds to the performances, especially in the beginning of Female Trouble and the Christmas scene and all of that. Cause she, he, I want he my is, cha-cha shoes. <laughs> he is so good at being a fucking annoying child as a grown man dressed as a woman. The uh, When he takes, I think it's Pink, Pink Flamingo's, when Divine takes out a gun, just says, "You have been convicted of assholeism." <laughs> I wrote that just random Divine quotes that I just fell in love with. Yes, so many, uh, and of course because he had a bit of a feminine feminine quality about himself, and uh, he was overweight. He was heavily bullied in high school. Divine said they used to wait for me every day to beat me up after school and to point to the point where I was quite black and blue and afraid to say anything because they had threatened my life and it was very bad. You know, finally one day I had to go for a physical to the doctor and when I disrobed, I mean, it was quite obvious that something terrible was happening to me. And finally I broke down after a lot of questioning and told them what the problem was and they called my parents in. When they saw what I looked like, they were quite hysterical and we had the police at the school and the kids were expelled and it was quite an ugly situation which made me even more unpopular with their friends and the other people yowza i mean as so many people have gone through that as a child oh yeah i mean i've talked about this before i mean god damn before i was a bully just yeah they really don't like a fat person no when you're in middle school (laughs) and then a feminine man they they don't like anything that's different yes it's bad but uh if you uh want to check out the documentary i am divine they go deeper into the, the upbringing of Divine and John Waters. It's really great. to They also show kind of the uprise of what you're about to get into with the, yeah. the film crew. But um, it's also, it's really sad because his mom is actually on the documentary and mm. this poor fucking woman was really just trying to understand this weird child that she created because she was, she was this upper middle class kind of just blonde woman who was worried about her place in society and she was taking him to all these doctors and they were like, Telling her stuff like, oh, your son has got a case of femini- feminist disease. Disease, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> really basically just, they didn't want to say he was gay probably, which still mm-hmm. also is a weird thing for a doctor to diagnose your child. But she was just, you know, they, they had a falling out later on in life. And um, she really, like, you can tell how much she regrets that. But she just, like, again, like John Waters' parents she didn't know what the fuck to do with this kid. Right. She was trying, but yeah. So I Am Divine is a really good uh, look into the upbringing. I'm, I'm, uh, I have to make an admission. I have not seen that, and you are making me really badly want to. Where can we find that? Where did you watch it? Did you bootleg it, or did you get it somewhere? No, no, you can, I think it was just you on iTunes. illegally? <laughs> no, no. Uh, no, I think it's just on iTunes or Amazon Prime okay, or something. Cool. Yeah, yeah but shock, I didn't, I mean, I guess it has everything, but. All of the movies are rentable on Amazon. Except uh, for Pink Flamingos. What? So weird. I don't know why. Maybe the shit eating. Uh, yeah, but at the same time, <laughs> why didn't they stop when Divine got raped by a 15-foot lobster for eight minutes straight? Because <laughs> I don't know. I mean. No, I think I, I couldn't <laughs> find, I, I like, I would find little clips of it, and I finally found a, a version that was dubbed over in Russian. <laughs> Um, that also had like English subtitles, so I <laughs> watched hilarious. that. Wow, that just adds another level. Yeah. I think John Waters could have done that easily. Oh, put yeah. the movie out in Russian oh, with subtitles. Yeah. 
So Divine takes a job at a flower shop and had an interest in horticulture at a young age. Divine said, I was very uptight about my weight and about the way I looked. And I always wanted to look like everyone else. And finally, my junior year, like when I was 16, I feel like so much so much of John Waters and Divine just resonates with me so much, especially in my childhood. When I was like 16 and in high school is when I started hanging out with John and everyone else that I got the confidence together to go out. And at 17, his parents sent him to therapy where he came. And that, I think that's what you just mentioned, right, Natalie? Um, and that's where he came came to terms with his attraction to both men and women. But yeah, but they weren't they weren't you know it wasn't a therapy session where they were like trying to get him to embrace yeah. that. They're like, no, 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 no. They just you um, got you got waggy wrist syndrome. <laughs> um, the funny thing about therapy is whenever anyone is like, you really need to seek therapy, you really need to. Do the never result is never the person's wish. I no, feel you know no. what I mean like the result is always like you're the I found out Brett therapy you're the fucking problem <laughs> well, especially back then where another yeah. thing his mom did was take him to a doctor to put him on a diet because she didn't know what to do because <laughs> she she was just giving him all the food he wanted so crazy that he put on weight right. um but then so the doctor just gave him pills which he didn't want to take, which I it's assume was just speed. speed. Yeah, it's got to be speed. <laughs> the doctor was giving him drugs to like of be thinner. The um, early 60s were a different time. And by, yeah, again, but at the same time, that's not true. I knew people in high school that were given diet Yeah, so totally. Uh, so then he went to beauty school in 1963 to learn hairstyling, which led to jobs at local salons with uh, a specialty in, of course, beehives and other upswept dues. But this just, time... Hold on, this time, this really, he wasn't called Divine yet. He was going no. by his, his given name, and he was not doing Harris. the drag yet. Hair, he was going, well, he was going by, by Glenn. He went Glenn. by Glenn. Yeah, so Glenn this, is his middle name. So this yeah. period, he wasn't being called Divine or anything. He was Glenn to well, everyone. What's awesome is that this is around the time, though, which I think is cool because in the same vein that we have all known each other and have been working together for what seems like a million years they did the same thing where I read this whole interview by Mink Stoll who we will talk about later she's part of the Dreamlanders which is part of John Waters' crew of friends that are all in this all in these early movies and she said I met John when I was 18 and that fall I met Divine my memory is that I met Divine at a party I was stoned on acid. He was draped in a sheet and playing with his Yorkie. But there's also a scene like that in the first movie that we did. It was 50 years ago. My memories are a little messed up. But I do remember that when I fell in with these people, as you say, I thought, oh my God, this is fabulous. We had certain shared anti-values. We just clicked. And I think that's a fun because like Hell yeah. they were so young and yeah. doing a bunch of drugs together. And the fact that you can just throw your life away by being that young and doing that many years. I did lots of drugs way too young. And instead, they decided to Channeled use it. this yeah. momentum to put it into creating weird as I fuck bet you content. Guys, I bet you guys already, only 10 years on, could think back and can't remember if something you did was a sketch from yeah. Murderfist yes, or just for some sure. or it was a conversation right. sure. or if it was yeah oh a thousand percent yeah it's just it's also just so much more admirable to me because it was easy for us to rebel in these ways because they established that it was really hard for them this was even before the hippie dropout drop in 
movement. You know what I mean? Or dropout, tune in, whatever that. Uh, everybody's doing acid and stuff. These people were on the forefront, and I love that they weren't just fucking off. They were creating art. They were in. The, they were in the scene. And of course, I feel like this happens to a lot of like uh, people who were raised well in a household that ended up becoming counterculture. Uh, Glenn becomes unemployed after uh, the uh, beauty school stuff for and the hairstyling job for a bit. And his parents supported his lavish lifestyle, including clothes, cars, and parties where he hosted, done up as his favorite celebrity, Elizabeth Taylor. And I think so. This I is love that too. That he just came back and was just like, "Well, fuck it, uh, <laughs> mom and dad, you're gonna pay for a lot of parties for me." <laughs> and they just did. And they did. <laughs> and that's when he around this time he's meeting David Lockery, Carol Wernig, and all these people through John Waters. And this is when all the the Dreamlanders are actually forming during these years they're all hanging out at a beatnik bar called matrix which used to be a french restaurant uh and i believe it is a historical site now in baltimore which is amazing and it was john waters around this time who gave glenn his new name divine with the catchphrase the most beautiful woman in the world almost i love that john waters (laughs) says about divine divine wasn't anything like divine he didn't want to be a woman he wanted to be a monster. He wanted to be Godzilla, not Miss America. So mm-hmm. fucking cool. Which at this time period, too, all of the drag queens that did existed were trying to be women. They were trying to look, at least this is what it was saying, like what, how they felt how they, about the drag they, culture. Perceived the by time. them. Yes. yes. Is that it, it was a lot of men that wanted to look like the pristine, hot, what the ideal woman was at the time, and they wanted to abolish that idea. They were like, oh, oh these drag queens are too square. Yes. We need to make it cooler. Yeah. In a time when d- drag queens were not accepted in any no. way. Yeah. I love, too, that, that even uh, John Waters said, like, what drag queen would want to look like that? And I feel like div- now Divine has paved the way. Trixie Mattel, I feel like, heavily inspired. So many. You've also got that Netflix show where they're doing horrific drag, all like distorted drag. It's it's really, uh, he paved the way for so many more interesting avenues. And all oh, this stuff. yeah. Also, I couldn't help but notice during Female Trouble, Divine at points would aggressively grab her, his breasts. And I was like, that's what Jackie does when she's trying to be a sex monster. I do it all the time. <laughs> I'm grabbing them right now. Yeah, you, you are. are. I will say there were a lot of times that I was like, I wonder where Divine got that dress. Because in a lot of these movies, even though sometimes, yes, as Divine, she would come off as a as a monster a lot, you know, no matter what was happening in a lot of scenes. But at the same time, it makes so much sense that Divine went to beauty school because her hair always looked amazing. I know that they were wigs, but still, coiffed wigs. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even though they had absolutely no budget, she always looked great. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of, uh, in John Waters' early stuff, uh, they talked about in I'm Divine, they really wanted Divine to look like Jane Mansfield, like the, that sort of Inflated bombshell. Inflated Jane Mansfield, uh, D- Divine yes. said, was was what uh, John Waters wanted. And also, of course, it's ironic that he would say, this is Glenn talking, that he would say, the most beautiful woman in the world turns out to be a man. <laughs> yeah, and, and really, that was this sort of like triple subversive thing where they were going for the Jane Mansfield look, which was already kind of edgy, but then also saying, like, this is not the ideal body type for this kind of person and we're kind of pushing against that boundary as well and also Jane Mansfield is fucking badass and that would be a cool (laughs) pop history and if you guys didn't know fun fact 
Uh, her daughter is Mariska Hargitay on SVU. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Um, uh, also, a lot of Divine's look is heavily attributed to their very good friend Van Smith, who was the makeup and costume designer for all of Waters' movies. And also sometimes prop and mm. um, like environment provider as well. Divine said of Van, he's the one that said, go in the bathroom, shave your head halfway back, and pluck all your eyebrows out. So, I mean, you really have to trust people. I went in the bathroom <laughs> and did this. She just des- uh, described the makeup as beauty gone berserk, quote-unquote, and quote-unquote similar to kabuki-style makeup, which I think is fascinating. Waters said, when I was young, drag queens were square. You already said this in so many words. They wanted to be Miss America, and those pretty drag queens hated Divine. Uh, he'd show up with fake scars on his face, carrying a chainsaw and stuff. <laughs> Love it so much. They didn't know how to deal with that. But almost every drag queen today is like Divine. Even if you hate my movies, he made drag queens more hip and more cool and more cutting edge. Drag queens didn't want to be their mothers anymore. Hell yeah. It's, I mean, I, it's amazing. It's just, it's such like a punk rock energy. I, I just love it so much. It reminds me of Wendy O. Williams, who's a punk rock and roll goddess, who's my, my dog is named after, but she did oh. the same shit where she would go on stage with a chainsaw and just have like clothespins on her nipples. Hell yeah. And that is sort of that. I could see Wendy doing that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, she does at home. You miss it. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about some of the Dreamlanders. There's too many to name, I think, at this point. We got to get to Mondo Trasho, his first, and then the movies afterwards in this episode. I will just say uh, Dreamlanders came from the production company that John Waters had, Dreamland Productions. Many of the OG Dreamlanders were the quote bad suburban kids he knew in Tosin and Lutherville suburbs oh, of Baltimore including huh? it's Towson sorry it's Towson because that's where I went to college oh nice oh, oh god nice. was yep. that a nightmare uh no it was awesome oh okay, it was fucking cool. great yeah for some reason I always think like John Waters is the one who makes me like Baltimore I just I like I've been a couple times and I'm just like this fucking place we what? actually <laughs> right where they had Dreamland Studios is in Fells Point and Holden, you oh, went cool. there with me before. Years back, we went to Fells Point for drinks uh, when you were touring Cowman with the oh, last podcast. Oh, awesome. That's yeah. fucking rad. And also, again, back to when you were talking about how like Baltimore is such a central part of, of not only the Dreamlanders, but all of John Waters' movies as well. When in the Mink Stole conversation, she said, I suppose Baltimore is a bit like us. Baltimore has always been an outsider city. Mm-hmm. It has an inferiority complex. It measures itself against other places. When they read out the national weather, they talk about Washington and Philadelphia, and they just skip over Baltimore. Mm-hmm. We get overlooked a lot. And I think the essence of Baltimore is exactly what they were trying to really convey yeah. with all of their work together. Yep. So, and they being Bob Skidmore, Mark Isherwood, Eich- I- uh, Eich- Mary Vivian Pierce, David Lockery, so many. They were all brought together apparently through the downtown Baltimore gay scene. There was also uh, Waters' art director, Vincent Paranio. You mentioned the lobster rape scene. His first gig was building that lobster for the film. Uh, and he had rented an industrial space that was once a bakery to use as a cheap studio and living space for him and seven other artists, which was known as the Hollywood Bakery. And uh, these were the Fells Point Dreamlanders and included Mink Stoll, George Figgs, Bob Adams, Susan Lowe, Paul Swift, Chris Mason, and Peter Coper. And Mary and Vivian Pierce and Mink Stoll are the only two of all the Dreamlanders that have appeared in every single one of Waters' feature-length films. Hell yeah. Uh, his next short film was called Eat Your Makeup, and it is his first film shot on a 16 millimeter camera and had more of a narrative. And here it is, as described by probably more IMDb. More of a narrative. 
A deranged nanny kidnaps young girls and forces them to model themselves to death in front of her boyfriend and their insane friend circle. And Divine, during all this, is fantasizing that she's Jackie Kennedy and relives the JFK assassination in her head. What I love... So Finally, this is the, a storyline. <laughs> this is the first film that John Waters made with Divine, and... John Waters said about it, the first real thing was him as Jackie Kennedy in Eat Your Makeup. His mother found the bloody Jackie Kennedy outfit in the boot of his car and said, what is this? And Divine <laughs> said, I am Jackie Kennedy. His mother just changed oh the subject. God. Can you she didn't know what to say. What this woman's thinking. What's going through her head during all this. And um, Eat Your Makeup has only been screened once, and it was in John Waters' local church. Nice. <laughs> That's so fucking great. So let's talk about the f the early, dirty feature films, starting with Mondo Trasho. Uh, this has very little dialogue, but there is dialogue. It stars Marion Vivian Pierce. David Lockery, Divine, and Mink Stoll. The film features Pierce getting seduced uh, and later foot molested by a hippie degenerate. You know, uh, as while you do. she fantasizes about being Cinderella. <laughs> so this, uh, though, so Mondo Trasher uses little dialogue and it tells his entire story through music. So this turned out to be its undoing, however. John Waters admitted that he couldn't afford the rights to all the songs he used, so he simply used the songs without paying the fees, which <laughs> is why Mondo Trasho has been kept out of print. He also later said he, he does uh, regret making this film a feature. He feels it should have been a short, uh, that it was too long. That you know, it isn't I'm sure it was. Uh, I'm, <laughs> sure. Oh, I'm, I'm certain. I like this. While they were shooting Mondo Trasho, uh, John Waters and the other Dreamlanders were arrested and charged with conspiracy to commit indecent exposure <laughs> yes. because they were filming a scene on uh, the on John Hopkins University's campus and it featured a naked hitchhiker in a convertible. I like the idea of having to conspire. Like they all got together and we're gonna make them naked. We're gonna get a show all right. Here's the everybody. <laughs> uh, here's the conclusion to uh, Mondo Trasho. Divine later hits uh, her, I believe that is uh, Marion Vivian Pierce, uh, with uh, her car and later takes her to Dr. Coathanger, who amputates her feet and replaces them with bird-like monster feet, which she can tap together to transport around Baltimore. <laughs> I really want to go back and watch this one. I, I can't find it. If you can find it, please send well, it to I me. Well, I want to talk to you because I'm going to make it a mission. I did, you saw Multiple Maniacs. I did oh, not watch yeah. Multiple Maniacs. Yeah. Jackie... His first quote-unquote talkie, again featuring Divine, Mary Vivian Pierce, David Lockery, and Mink Soul, as well as Edith Massey, George Figgs, and Cookie Mueller. Um, Multiple Maniacs has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It has grossed six times its original budget. That's it's amazing. made over $33,000 on a $5,000 budget. And I will say... John Waters wow. has said he paid his father back with interest later on for yep. these films that oh, were funded good for by him. Um, it is well, I would say it's upsetting. <laughs> it's definitely all in black. Well, do you want to read what it's about? Kind yeah, of? yeah. Let me give you. <laughs> let me give you the breakdown. And uh, she, Jaggy, sent me a little video of her enduring the lobster rape scene at the end. Spoiler alert. And it really does. I really Spoiler. laughed a lot. Uh, so this is about a traveling sideshow freaks whose free shows end in the slaughter of the audience. It's filled, which actually a little similar to Female Trouble. It's filled with rape and murder as well as religious themes. Lady Divine finds a new lover named Mink who shoves a rosary up her ass in a church pew. She while certainly does. While describing <laughs> the stations of the cross. Uh, 
Lady Divine later kills and eats the internal organs of her ex-lover, Mr. David, and then is raped by a giant lobster named Lobstora, which, of course, I already mentioned this. This was Vincent Periano's entry to <laughs> working with water was building the lobster, which it's an impressive lobster. It, My, it also, it's great. Yeah, and also, <laughs> I, I would like to mention if people who haven't seen these movies, if they're interested in them, but they're a little worried, there is obviously, as we're stating, a lot of rape and uh-huh. assault and stuff, but it's not done in a um like in a really it's realistic so way. I don't cartoonish. know. Unless it's you have cartoonish. had an experience with like a huge lobster assaulting yeah. you, then maybe don't watch this. But, but I will say, Divine somehow p- plays a magic trick on the audience by making some of at least some of these rapes actually comically funny and i hate to say it i I feel like i'm gonna get burned at the cross for saying that out loud but like it is i you just want i don't know it's they were making comedies yeah it is it is is definitely underground very dark comedies and in fact john waters had said that this is the um his take on a horror movie Mm -hmm. on a horror dark Ah. comedy movie yeah and uh I, I have to say, I think possibly my favorite part I, is that so as Divine is eating the internal organs of these people that she had just murdered, it's a long scene of her eating them. Then she gets raped by lobster. But then afterwards, yada, yada, yada. she is she's foaming at the mouth and she's stalking down the sidewalk. She's going like, and then a bunch of people are like following her and th- like a bunch of kids are throwing things at her and she's going nah. the scene is so long and then finally a bunch of dudes with guns come out and they just keep zeroing in on Divine's face and, just, nah, 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 nah. and then she's gunned down in the street to the tune of America the Beautiful Yes, and it's as someone that it's like I feel like if it was trying to say something, I'd be like, oh, okay, but it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. It's such ridiculous bullshit. I think Female Trouble, and we'll get into this when we get to that movie, I think that movie actually does say something. And I think it was way ahead of its time in what it has yes. to say. I don't think he started saying anything until that movie, though. It does. It, yes. Yeah, it does, but it doesn't, but it does. And right. It, it, it does remind me a little bit of um, David Lynch's earliest stuff, which is uh-huh. just, it could just ridiculous. be like a oh, stew I can't wait to do of that. images. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but also, you get all this shit from it, even mm-hmm. if they didn't have like a, a a fucking scripted out idea of what the symbolism was going to mean. Right. And what's great is that this movie was actually revived by Criterion as well. So that's why we were able to see it because <laughs> ah. it was kind of like, it was very difficult to be able to find. And um, but this is again another testament to his parents that while they filmed the cavalcade of perversion, which was rough. On their par- on his parents' lawn, yeah. And afterwards, he they she invited everybody to come in, including Divine, and they're all bloody. <laughs> and uh, and one of them was wearing uh, a, they were wearing a bathing suit and carrying an axe. And his mother just served them all tea <laughs> as if Princess Di had come over. <laughs> I uh, I gotta say that I think is going to be my marker for success for the rest of my <laughs> life is to make such a cacophony of noise in a movie just just assault on the senses that you trick the Criterion Collection into <laughs> putting this movie. And he, like, and he, John Waters, I think even himself can't believe it. Yeah, he's and like, what I love away. Is this question of how, someone asked, how long did it take to make 
And his response was, I was on LSD. I don't remember. <laughs> this was the first movie I made with dialogue where my characters could speak, and we would shoot it when we had money. I wrote it as we went along. It took eight or nine days. I love that he just wrote it as they kept going. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Which <laughs> I will say, I know it shows. It shows, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I watched it stoned and alone, and I laughed a lot. Yeah. Weed, weed does help. Yes. His his influence, he said, for the lobster came from uh, this. Well, in Provincetown this summer, someone said, that acid must have been pretty good in the 70s. And it's a fair comment. Because I wrote the lobster scene in Provincetown, and there was a very popular postcard of a giant boiled lobster in the sky over the beach. And while tripping, I did think of that for the rape scene. It's <laughs> <laughs> as, as also people that we would, you know, we definitely had a sketch that, uh, a friend of ours had to build a, with PVC pipes a big vagina yes. that people would have to come out of with like curtains around this PVC frame. Looking at that lobster, impressive. Yeah, that must it, yeah, they it's did a, it's a, a good great lobster. job using <laughs> that, and I think that makes sense of why. The scene is so long because you know what? If I spent that much time making something yeah. like that, you're gonna fucking you're gonna use watch the hell it. Out of it. Yep, you gotta get your money's worth. Uh, all right, let's get into it. Our final stretch here with the trash trilogy, and the first film may be probably the most pop is definitely the most popular of the trash trilogy, and that would be Pink Flamingos. Definitely and, the most uh, notorious. That's what yes, it is. Yeah. easily, easily, and uh, it had the ty- tagline "An exercise in poor taste." Waters said, even people who think they've seen everything are sort of stunned by it. They may hate it, but they can't not talk about it. That was the point. It was a terrorist act against the tyranny of good taste. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was the 9-11 of (laughs) (laughs) the Continue to say it was a form of rebellion and a chance to go against the spirit of the age. It was a chance to confront the mainstream. But, you know, it was also just a lot of fun. And Mm. if I hadn't made my movies, the early films in Pink Flamingos, somebody would have. Hell yeah. You know, it was made for $10,000, but it grossed $7 million. Well, a lot of that is because it ended up just like sliding into this situation that came about alongside Pink Flamingos and that would be the quote midnight movie only being shown at that time and this was uh, largely in the Elgin Theater in New York City. El Topo was the first I believe midnight movie and this replaced it in theaters. El Topo done by Jordorowski. It's very it's again it's very psychedelic. It's this big crazy art house film. This a lot more trashier even than that Um, and uh, yeah and it just grew slowly in popularity and first with the downtown gay scene, but expanded far past that. I love the, I love, I was reading some interview and John Waters like, watch the trailer for Pink Flamingos. They show zero footage from the film and the whole thing. It's kind of, it's like the first paranormal activity style trailer. It was only people's reactions to how disgusting and vile and, and you know, and that was so great. And because, especially because, spoiler alert, Divine Eats Dog Shit. We'll talk more about it uh, uh, yeah, at yeah, the yeah. very end of the film for n- seemingly no reason. No reason whatsoever. To the tune of look at that doggy in the window. So you're left with Actually, just Actually, this- apparently there is a reason. when a- John Waters was asked, why does she eat <laughs> dog shit in the end? It's real he dog said, shit, by the way. It is real yes. dog shit. He said, I wanted it to have a happy ending. <laughs> What is it? Why? What, why? That's, what do you mean? The, and, and even in the in the movie, to just push it further and further, Waters even says in a narration, the real thing. The uh, real thing. Divine said, I followed that dog around for three hours, just zooming in on his asshole. 
until it shat so she could eat the stuff. She said, I love this anecdote about the situation. I had mouthwash and things, and I brushed my teeth and gargled. Anyway, I went home, and I was sitting there. Then I started to worry. So I called the <laughs> hospital, and I said, imitating a woman, oh, hello. Oh, this hello. Is, oh, this, this is, is Mrs. Johnson. Johnson. Do you want to do it? Do it. Oh, hello. This is Mrs. Johnson, and my son just <laughs> ate dog duty. And what should I do? And uh, she said, well, how old is your son? And I said, well, he's 24 years old. (laughs) What? Well, then the nurse said, some maniacs on the phone here. So she said, well, you just have to wash his mouth out and, you know, do all this. She said, but feel his stomach every day because he could get what was called the, you know, like a worm. And every day I was feeling my stomach to see. Finally, one day it got hard. I thought, oh, my God, I've got it. But I didn't have anything. So I was very lucky. But she suggested that I get rid of the dog. I just, why? It's like, is that any less weird to call and say you're 24 year old son? Just say you ate it. Just was that how old Glenn was? Or Divine I was? Guess. I guess. I think it's fun too because also apparently during the filming of Pink Flamingos, Divine was arrested for theft and she reportedly just tried to get out of the charges by claiming that it was a part of method acting for <laughs> Pink Flamingos, but uh, I think that she still got charged. Uh, it was a rough shoot. Uh, it was, the trailer set was described as a quote hippie commune, and the living quarters were a farmhouse without hot water. It was so bad that Divine would in, uh, would get up in Baltimore before sunrise, get into makeup before being driven to Phoenix, Maryland, uh, to get to the set. And uh, yeah, I think just- I think these kind of movies is it's conducive to. Yeah living in squalor like you can't have like a comfortable set and then make ping flamingos right um, no yeah no it just doesn't work that way it's like make, make, making like a really gross indie horror you can't well right. and it's like for example during Desperate Living and I think that this is kind of fun that John Waters did use the people of Baltimore and he used them to his advantage of not having to pay them and to get away with things and making it work that someone that was that worked on Desperate Living said in order to get people to populate the town of Mortville, which is in Desperate Living, Waters would get school buses and take them to Fells Point, fill up the buses with winos. He would promise them a free lunch and would take them out to the farm and that one of the goons of the movie lived on and would just kind of drop them there. Give them lunch, give them some booze, and they just had fun all day. But he would kind of trick people also what, into uh, going with him. Yeah, that's also what you know, murderous hillbilly families do. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. but he was being nice. He was being nice. Also, I should give the description here. Babs Johnson, played by Divine, is proud to be, quote, the filthiest person alive, who goes up against the criminal duo The Marbles, who tries to outdo her reputation. Uh, and it's, it's it was said to have established what art students would call the Baltimore aesthetic, a, quote, homemade technicolor look due to large amounts of indoor paint and makeup, along with ballroom drag show, show pageantry and 50s rock and roll kitsch. Uh, it is a must-see if you're interested in the early films of uh, John Waters. It is just uh, unbelievable. It is just such a just landmark. Just get the DVD, by the way, because it is weirdly difficult to find. It is. It is hard to find. And also, if anybody's on the fence about watching it, it's not hyperbole. It is one of the grossest things you'll ever watch. Yes. But it is watchable. It is fun to watch. It's not just to make you feel like shit. Like, you do laugh yeah. through it, and it's very silly. I think it's also, uh, I think the grossest thing about it for me is Edith Massey's character when she's in the pen eating the eggs. That is gross. Yes. I am so disgusted eggs. by that scene. Honestly, uh, Edith Massey, I feel like, is not disgusted 
enough. We haven't I been discussing her enough. I want to talk about her in Female Trouble because holy shit, dude. And jo- oh my God, her in Desperate Living as, as Queen Carlotta. <laughs> I will say, as someone that has played... As try, I have tried to be this level of truly disgusting <laughs> many times sure, on stage, sure, sure. and I have never been able to capture what she can capture. She I'm sorry, Jackie, vile. you're you're not. She's you're too vile. pretty, Jackie. <laughs> I, I I don't even know if it's. I think it's just it's the great of her voice. It's the it's just I I know every inch of those woman of this woman's breasts and pussy. Yes, and it's crazy. <laughs> um. Also, before we get off Pink Flamingos, sure. I don't know if you can find this version of it anymore, but there is like a director's like extended cut, which is ah. you don't need for this movie. But, I don't um, want that. If no, anybody has no. seen the one that I've seen, which is uh, there's a scene where a dude uh, makes his asshole dance. Yes, you told me about scenes. this. I was like, I'm glad I haven't seen that. I did not make this up, and somebody has to tell me they've also seen this version of Pink Flamingos. Um, and I don't even know how to explain to you what I mean by his asshole dances, but it does. Unbelievable. Uh, all right, now <laughs> let's get into Female Trouble. This film is just fucking crazy. I watched it last night. It's still living with me. He was only 25 when he wrote, produced, and shot the film for $25,000 on the streets of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. He was only 25. This, You guys, we're, we're an hour in. We, there's still like just so much. I know. So this is even career. just a drop in the bucket of his career. It's right. insane. Uh, he, he dedicated this film to the Manson family's Charles Tex Watson, who Waters visited in prison and inspired the theme of, quote, crime is beauty in the film. There is a wooden toy helicopter in the movie that Waters made, or that Watson rather made for Waters, and he has since expressed guilt for using the murders in a jokey way, without any sensitivity towards the victims or their families. So there is a little bit of realization later on. But I will say, I do feel like I was saying this before. I felt like it was ahead of its time in the sense that you know I really do think that nowadays we do, of course, have the element of. Uh, mass murderers as celebrity that we're still grappling with in this country. It is very fast is a very fascinating thing to talk about mixing those two things. And I don't think it was as prevalent of a concept back then, and that's why I feel like this was the first thing, time he had something to say, and it was uh, the first time that he, um, you know, uh, like got a little like into that into into some later themes. I feel like that right. He explores. Uh, such as even in, I'm pretty sure Cecil B. Demented, which we'll talk about. Oh uh, yeah, in we next will. Episode. So Patty Hearst, French author Jean Genet also once said, "Quote: Crime is beauty," and Genet was a big influence on Waters in general. The synopsis is thus: A spoiled schoolgirl, played by <laughs> Divine Man. <laughs> Runs away from home, gets pregnant while hitchhiking. Which also the whole gets pregnant while hitchhiking, that scene <laughs> is long. There is, yes. it's a lot of, I I think it's consensual sex. It, it starts weirdly, seemingly not, and then it sort of becomes consensual while she's also stealing his wallet yeah. during the sex. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, and ends up as a fashion model for a pair of beauticians who like to photograph women committing crimes. This leaves out uh, so many things. An acid attack on the model, a nightclub act that turns murderous, stranglings of a, of her daughter, sexual assault, child abuse, just so much stuff. Um, and, of course, uh, we already mentioned what, what Edith Massey, right? Uh, her turn in this is amazing. She gets her hand lopped off as Aunt Ida. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, like, just oh, that yeah, costume and the for that leather, like, Man, it. I actually kind of want one. Yeah. Because I will say, it's gotta hurt when you have pulls (laughs) on that tight against, like, as a as a very big woman myself. When you have those strings cutting into your thighs, it was like this leather stringy outfit 
that left not a whole lot to the imagination. <laughs> um, it, it, it's it's gotta hurt. That's gotta hurt any anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, I love this. Divine performed his own stunts, including doing flips on a trampoline during his nightclub act, which is so such an amazing scene. I was also the fact of so doing things hard. for real. John Waters said, I was into the reality thing before reality TV happened, like mm-hmm. having Divine eat shit and pink flamingos, and it's yeah. hard to top that. But the scene <laughs> where Divine is playing Earl Peterson in female trouble and Mink comes to visit him, he pukes on her. I wanted Divine to puke for real, but he couldn't. <laughs> so we gave him Epicac, and we, and he still couldn't puke. It's <laughs> on the bonus footage. It's really hard to watch. Uh, and uh, I did not watch the bonus footage of watching a person desperately trying to force himself to throw up, but that even just thinking about that makes my stomach turn a little. Oh, yeah, I'm, sure. I can pass on that. <laughs> I don't really need to ever see that for any reason. Nah. Also, that's just like kind of at the same time. That's just like what Jackass did. So yeah, yeah. And and there is a, a, a lots of you know later on he does a movie. John Waters yeah. does a movie with Johnny Knoxville. Yeah. And he talks about like how. I appreciate the respect that they both have for each mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. because, you know, John Waters walked so Johnny Knoxville could run. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, Waters said about Divine's performance, since the character turns from teenage delinquent to mugger to prostitute to unwed mother, child abuser, fashion model, nightclub entertainer, murderess, and jailbird, I felt at last Divine had a role she could sink her teeth into. <laughs> Man, that see-through wedding dress. <laughs> I loved the see-through. So she's wearing this white see-through wedding dress, and you just see this huge muff, and, and it's nipples. pretty much all you see. You just see breasts and a big ball of hair. <laughs> big old bush. Man, there is so much. I, although I will say, it, it, there's there's a lot of sex in it. There's a oh, lot yeah. of, and it's it is mostly sex. Too. Most of these movies are sex. Yeah, yeah. and you see penis. Yeah. It's even same as desperate like, living. Lots even of his penis. later stuff is very horny. Oh yeah, yeah. Waters said, "All my humor is based on nervous reactions to anxiety-provoking situations. So I wanted the ideals rather than the action of female trouble to be horrifying. Yeah. Um, and I love just it happens over and over again. So it's probably not the best like in terms of um, good writing, but just you're constantly just have divine just so excited to be this fashion model and just t- t- taking pictures, and then someone comes in to ruin that moment, and then she's just immediately pissed off and screaming at them. And for some reason, it never got old. No, <laughs> there is something that divine because obviously as we discussed divine didn't have any training of any sort but no he had such a charisma on screen and on mm-hmm. stage it just he is captivating to watch well when i love to which is completely against absolutely everything you will ever learn in acting school Mink Stoll had talked about acting with Divine, and she said he was a very generous actor. If he was having dialogue with me, he would look at me and not cheat to the camera. It made it really easy to work with him, although I had to work very hard because he was so visually staggering. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't strong, I wasn't going to be seen at all. But I think it's very fun where it's like she's saying, good on him that he would look at me in a scene. Isn't that nice? <laughs> and that he wouldn't stare into the camera like everybody else. Does. <laughs> um, and and, and of course, you've got that ending with the electric chair. It's a, Waters speaks about how amazing it was that he was allowed to bring an electric chair into a prison because they at the time weren't using capital 
capital punishment in that way. He was also a very much an anti-capital punishment activist and worked that into the film at a time when it was largely being debated in the U.S. And he said, when we filmed Female Trouble, the death penalty still existed, but they had the gas chamber, not the electric chair. What was amazing was that the warden at the prison where we filmed let us bring in the electric chair. And I even wrote down a few lines that are probably terrible. I love when, um, uh, disgustingly, uh, the daughter, Divine's daughter, who is not uh, the... Um, daughter of the man she's having sex with because she takes a new husband. Uh, he's like, come here, baby, and suck daddy's dick. And he and she's like, I wouldn't suck your dick if it was I was suffocating you. I had oxygen in your balls, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> Rooney, the whole Rooney sequence, that song when she's walking down the street with all the people staring, which I feel like we're just normal Baltimore street people. Oh, yeah. People. Oh, they were. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bumping pussies is a violation of jail rules. I, th- I think what I love, too, is that knowing... And you can see they didn't have permits to film no. anywhere. Right. They were just filming in public. That <laughs> or you could see where John Waters would like kind of hide behind something as he's shooting. Where it's like, oh, you guys didn't ask permission. They never sure. asked permission. No, and they, they whatever the fuck they wanted to do. They do talk about that in the I Am Divine documentary Hell where yeah. um, they they intentionally they wanted the, the actual reactions of people walking around God, when Divine was walking the street because. <laughs> they didn't know what to make of this situation. No. Was, yes, the reactions are so good. I love that whole sequence. It's just her dancing around the street to this great, perfect song, and it just was one of my highlights of watching it. But hey, we're going to close it out with the final film of the Trash Trilogy before uh, we end for today. And uh, of course, you know this will be a one part of a two-parter. We have so many movies. I can't wait to rewatch this I know. week. Um, but uh, let's go. Let's get into a Desperate Living. Desperate Living, a neurotic society woman, murders her husband with the help of her maid, and on Which the Which also, lamb, by, the help, by the way, murders her husband because her maid sits on his face with her pussy and then makes <laughs> him, uh, he suffocates to death. That's, <laughs> that's the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. So they go on the lam, escape to Mortville, a homeless community ruled over by a fascist queen. Uh, queen Carlotta is truly <laughs> disgusting. Do you know who plays Queen Marlotta? Edith Massey. Of course. <laughs> She's, and her She's tits are out the entire time and she just I'm a bit of Maui rabies <laughs> and she fills the entire town with rabies <laughs> uh, it was shot on a 26 acre farm the exterior sets were largely constructed from plywood and trash found around Baltimore. The cast and crew were too much for the farm septic system. Heavy rains almost washed away the set. Other conditions like that just made this a very difficult shoot yet again. Interiors were filmed in a warehouse, which also was unheated. Also, Peter Copper, who played one of the goons in it, which the goons so funny. They are just like wearing like like copper hats with black mesh uh, tank tops on and really tight leather pants and all of them are hard the entire time. And it was actually his farm that they were shooting on and he said that all of the catering consisted of wonder bread and salami and in watching this movie it's already truly disgusting and thinking about how much (laughs) that they probably not only did they eat a lot of salami but i bet they all smelled like salami (laughs) or at least it looks like they smelled like salami yeah it does definitely look like they smell like salami Uh, yeah, it was just a rough time, uh, and uh, that makes sense. He's probably getting to the point where he's like, I think it's time to go mainstream. <laughs> this is a nightmare. Yeah. Um, it, it was Waters' first film that used original music, 
And uh, Divine actually had other commitments and therefore was unable to be in this one. So his role went to Susan Lowe. It was also the first film without David Lockery because, and this makes me so sad to know, he had developed a bad PCP addiction and then passed away not long after the film came out. And I love David Lockery's work. He died at 32 years old wow. because of PCP addiction. That is a that is an intense addiction to have. Holy yes, I he know. was great in him, but at the same yes. time, it's like, was he on PCP through all of it? Which that's <laughs> wow. that's got to be difficult. Uh, apparently, Waters read an autobiography by a performer named Liz Renee and loved it so much he offered her the lead role in Desperate Living. Now, Liz Renee, who is great in this, and I watched a long interview with her as well, and it was just. That woman has had a sad life. Yes. And um, her talking about her environment around making this movie was honestly rougher to watch than (laughs) the movie itself. I will say that she wasn't having a very good time with one of the husbands she had been with at that point in time. How, How was she in the film? She was great. She, I mean, I really think that she was completely nude most through most of it. And she was in a relationship with another, with Mole, who was, Mole is one of the more disgusting characters. And um, they were in a lesbian relationship together and they fucked a lot. And then at the end of it, Mole, spoiler alert, goes and like she wins she wins the lottery so she goes to town to get her money and then at knife point she forces a doctor to give her a sex change by cutting off his dick and sewing the dick onto herself <laughs> and then when she shows up to Muffy who's played by Liz Renee and she comes home she goes I got what you want I got what you want and she's like no I hate it I hate it so then she takes the dick Again, I apologize. Um, takes the dick and cuts it off herself with a scissor, and they throw it outside, and then a bunch of dogs take it. And, um, wow. I well, mean, if that's not art, I don't know what is. Well, on that note, uh, I think that just about covers our part one on John Waters I next wrote down week. The, the quote, I'm so hungry, I could eat cancer. <laughs> Uh, next week, we will watch him go mainstream. We'll look at the success of Hairspray. Later, the musical Hairspray with a bit of a crossover because of John Travolta. And we also have, uh, what else? Uh, Cry Baby, I'm so excited to talk Yay! about. Johnny Depp's first feature film and the one that gave Natalie a loin attack. We've got yep. so many fun things Cereal to Cereal Mom, about. which I'm very excited about. Cereal Mom, Mom. yes, yes. Cecil be demented. Oh, yeah. It's gonna, I'm really excited about Pecker. next week's episode. Wait, Peckers, yeah. Pecker, yeah. yeah. Pecker. Pecker, absolutely. But we had to do this. We had to give our big ups, our respect to John Waters, because I we learned a lot about him. And, you know, I definitely see the movies in a different light. I don't think it makes it any easier to digest. But I would say if you want to have, like, a great night after you've eaten because I definitely one of the times I think it was during Desperate Living I was eating dinner and oh, I had to no. stop the movie yeah, so no. that I could continue Don't my dinner do that so I, but it is a fun thing to watch with a group of people I watched some of them with my roommates and they're just like we all laughed through the entire thing mm-hmm. had they seen it any were they familiar one of them had not and the other wow. one had so <laughs> it was fun to bring this to someone for the first yeah. time so amazing um, alright well I think that is our episode uh, and uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with more. Uh, also, we are excited to announce that on what was the date again, Jackie? February 14th. Yeah, February 14th. We are going Spotify exclusive. Episodes are currently available on Spotify. Spotify is free, and you can download episodes offline listening with a free account. Listen to Pop History on Spotify and download epi- uh, the, or subscribe to the 
podcast in order to get those apps dropping on you as soon as they come out. Uh, also, check us out on patreon.com forward slash P page seven. No, you're not. So patreon.com slash page seven podcast seven the number. And we've got our talking TVs. We've got our other fun stuff on there. Thank you guys so much for joining us. My name is Jackie Zabrowski. You can follow me on Instagram at Jack That Worm. You can also follow me on Spotify because I have a lot of really dumb uh, playlists. <laughs> Yeah, same. And you can also catch me on twitch.tv forward slash Holden Eaters Ho. Jackie joins me weekly to do Jackanese on Friday nights. Get it, get it, get it, Natalie. You can follow me uh, at the Natty Jean on all the bullshit. We love you guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, Go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.